this evening to the book of Philippians, Paul's epistle to the Philippians, and we we're going to look there in chapter 1. I felt impressed to speak along these lines as we've been, so many of our folks here tonight and in our church have been heavy-hearted and have lost loved ones. We say lost, the words that we use are inadequate, aren't they? They're not, uh, they express our view of it. We were speaking tonight before the service uh, it is all about our loss. It's, we know that those who the Lord calls home, it is at his doing, and uh, it is his great joy. There's rejoicing in heaven when his saints come home. Blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And yet there are those of us who are left. And so in, the, in this meantime, in this parenthesis of time until the Lord calls us home, uh, it would do well for us to remind ourselves of the truths of God's word because our hope is not based on sinking sand or pipe dreams or uh, word of mouth or someone's opinion. Our hope is built upon the very word of God who is exalted above his own name and forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Are you interested in, in speaking and talking about this tonight? I think it's something that will help us out. Philippians chapter 1, let's begin reading there in verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I longed after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may prove, approve things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things that, which have happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me, to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What a statement here coming from the Apostle Paul, writing from prison, recounting his ministry of service for the Lord, and earnestly, honestly, plainly talks about the subject of death, a subject most people do all they can to avoid. I read recently of a woman who had not ever been near a casket or death until she was in her 50s. She'd done everything on earth to avoid anything having to do with it. There are people who uh, approach the matter by not approaching it at all, and still death does not go away. People still die, and every home and every family is visited with this, this grief. Death, though, for a believer, 
is a totally different topic than the death of an unbeliever. Here in our text, Paul sums up the life and death of a truly saved person, a Christian. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want you to notice the conjunction there, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is addition, not subtraction. In God's economy, we have this life and then we have heaven. We have Christ, who is our life, in this life while we're here. And on top of that, you ever heard those infomercials, those commercials, that, you, you, that, that widget, that, that gadget that you thought when it comes on, you say, who would want that? But by the time they get through with it, you want five of them. And they'll say, but wait, and there's more. And then they begin to tell you all the other things they'll throw in. Paul is saying here, look, we have a life in Christ and on top of all that, we have uh, to die is gain. Now, we use the word I did just this evening of loss, but that's all in our own uh, accounting book. What we lose, the presence of a loved one, the fellowship, the, uh, the, the love that we have for them in this life, the interaction, but the Bible here tells us it is all gain. There's an eternity's difference in the way a believer lives and dies and the way an unsaved person lives and dies. Here is Paul's own personal authorization, if you will, and summation of the matter. Now, he's highly qualified, isn't he? No other man quite has the qualifications that the Apostle Paul has outside our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Paul's testimony that the Lord called him up and took him to heaven. Paul could not discern whether it was just his soul that went there or in the body. He said, I can't, I can't dissect and tell you all that. All I know is what I saw. And yet he was very cryptic, very closed about what he told us that he saw. However, this man is highly qualified. He's credentialed, isn't he, to talk about this subject of death. He's not preaching here. He is simply and plainly explaining what he knows about to be the absolute truth about the matter. He has been saved by this time, the Apostle Paul, for over 30 years. And he had been beaten. He had been left for dead. Uh, The authorities thought he was dead on more than one occasion. Imprisoned. Here he is again in prison. Maligned even by those of the, the church. Had, had dealt with hundreds and hundreds of people by this time, personally and in church groups. And so he knows that unless the Lord intervenes in his present circumstance, that he will die because of his ministry as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only does he know that his death is imminent, something that most of us do not know when it's time for us to go, Not only does he know his death is imminent, but he knows it will be in a very gruesome way, that he will be uh, a a martyr, that he will die in a very uh, uh, unusual way or by the the death of being beheaded. But what does he have to say about that? Simply this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This sums up for us what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For us here and now and for life after this life. We'll divide the text as it is easily to divide. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Our message tonight will have those two points. Uh, Our life as a believer, our, our life as a Christian, and then 
Christ and gain. It's all pluses for us. It's all gain. There's absolutely no loss for the child of God. Now, someone may say, well, look what the person who dies gives up. We often focus on that, don't, don't we? And I would just ask you to pause and think about that. What? Pain? <laughs> Agony? Uh, fearful things that we just hear about daily on the news? A body that at best uh, is aging and is going through circumstances, has to have help and medical help, and the longer we live, the more that's going to get. And for those of us who truly say we have this dichotomy of an old nature and a new nature that we constantly struggle with on our best day, we have failures and must come for grace and for help and for cleansing from the Lord. Our faith is so, just when we think we've, we've grown in grace, we see how little we've grown and how much more of the Lord's help and grace we need. Uh, life, the best of our relationships are painful and, and strained at times. There's no perfect relationship. All of our interactions are very fragile. The best of marriages, the healthiest of situations, the most uh, precious church relationships, all of those have to be worked at, helped, apologized, asked for grace, over and over again. So the best part of life is flawed, isn't it? The best of marriage has ups and downs. The best job has always has its situations to it. There's no perfect day in this life here on earth. But Paul says, and to die is gain. I want us to look here, first of all, that my life is Christ, is what Paul is saying. My life, he put Paul in the equals mark, Christ. Paul and Christ. Only a Christian can truly say, for me to live is Christ. Some might say, my life is my family. You hear someone say in an interview, what, is your, what makes you tick? What do you, what do you really love? What do you, someone say, oh, my children, my family, or my career, or my, my work, my life business, my, this, this business that I have founded, or this research that I'm doing. It's my life. Or for a scientist or a researcher, my, my life is this invention that I'm working on. Paul's estimation is far, far different than all that, isn't it? He says, for me to live is Christ. Simply one word, me, Christ. Life, Christ. This sounds very much like our Lord, doesn't it? As it should. Our Lord said in John 4, verse 34, my meat, that old English word meat means my existence, my being here. It, meat is for all kinds of food, and food is life, isn't it? Without it, we're not alive. My existence, you could say, our Lord said, my existence is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That was our Lord's compelling. He knew from his coming to the earth until he left here what it was all about, why he was here, what he was to do, how he would die, how he would be treated, how he would be received, my meat, my existence is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He said in John six twenty seven, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat, meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the God the Father sealed. But what does it literally mean for me to live as Christ? Is that just a, a spiritual uh, saying? And it, we should never look at these familiar verses in that way. For me to live is Christ. What, what do we mean by that? First of all, the Lord was everything to Paul. How different it was in his pre-conversion days when he refused to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Messiah. 
And he did everything he could in his power, in his zeal, to extinguish, to put out that fledgling followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, there would be no life for Paul apart from Christ. We might say the very essence, the very core of my being is Christ. Now, we need to note here that we are by nature, in our natural birth as human beings, spiritually dead. And while we may have the outward uh, evidences of physical life, of pulse and hearing and all the different things that you might do to, to uh, assess physical life, every person apart from regeneration is dead uh, in the inner man, the, the soul, spiritually dead. John 5 verse 40, And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Paul was dramatically and drastically changed that day on the road to Damascus. It was the last thing on his to-do list that day to be converted. (laughs) He was not seeking the Lord. He thought he had found the Lord. He thought he had it all figured out. He was at the top. Nobody could tell him anything. And in fact, he was very much needed uh, by the Father to extinguish all this work that was coming against Judaism. But he was dramatically and drastically dealt with that day by a supernatural work of the Lord. We call it conversion. We call it regeneration. He was born again and given life eternal. And Paul became alive. He was made alive by that supernatural regenerating work that Jesus will later, or before he told to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus that day. There he had... Uh, a license, permission from the high priest to kill, arrest, ransack, break up the church assemblies, to wreak havoc in the church, and he did everything he could to do just that. But after the Lord did his work in Paul's heart, he was repentant and humble, and a very different man, radically changed. Lord, calling this renegade preacher, now he's calling him Lord, What wilt thou have me to do? John 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Oh, what a joyous word that is. John 5, 11, and this is the record, 1 John 5, 11, this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And he, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's as simple as that. Do you have the Son? And this is what happens when a, when a sinner believes on Christ for salvation, not just an apostle. Some might say, well, that's all very well and good. I mean, Paul's an apostle. He had this dramatic conversion Every conversion is dramatic, whether it's outwardly so or not, because a person has been resurrected spiritually. Now, a resurrection is a miraculous thing, isn't it? For someone to be raised from the dead. But it's no less a miracle for you to be quickened, made alive on the inner man, and that's exactly what takes place when a person comes to Christ. When we're salvation and believing on Christ means that the person is spiritually raised from spiritual death, and is given eternal life. 
Secondly, not only was Christ everything to Paul, it became the essence of his life. Here's someone who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He climbed the religious denominational ladder, if you will. There was nowhere else for Paul to go. Privileged, educated, from a wealthy background. He had it all. Greatly respected uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. Very few Jews at the Paul's time could... could uh, uh, trace their uh, lineage back so exactly, but Paul's family was from the tribe that he could do just that. Very proud of all that, like someone who could tell you, my family came over on the Mayflower, you know, and they could trace it all the way back. He was one of those. And yet all of that became nothing to him. Absolute. I count all of that as what? He said, manure. That's all that matters compared to being made alive in Christ. A Christian is one in whom Christ lives by his indwelling spirit. It's not just words. It's not just joining a religion or a church. A person who's been regenerated has the very spirit of Christ dwelling in him. He tells the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, Know ye not that your own selves have that Christ is in you. You see the terminology that the apostle uses, that how Christ is in you, except you be reprobates, or unless you fail to meet the test and you're not saved, Christ is not in you. But if, if you examine yourselves, and the Spirit bears witness with your spirit according to the Word of God that you are indeed the child of God, Christ is literally in you by His Spirit. This is a marvelous and a wonderful thing that's hard to comprehend, and yet the Scripture teaches. Galatians 2, verse 20 is Paul's testimony as well. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ, what? Liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the, fle- live by the, uh, live in the flesh, I live by the faith, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A Christian is one in whom Christ dwells. And that's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ. He literally meant that. This is not just some spiritual uh, fairy tale kind of, Christ lives in me. And because of this fact, there is an overflowing of Christ from a Christian. Every believer ought to be such a follower of Christ, so completely controlled by the Spirit of the Lord, that wherever we are, there's this overflow of the life of Christ from us. So that the words we say, the things we do, the way we handle business, our goals, our demeanor, our philosophy, all affects every area of our life that people have to take notice. There's something different here. Don't you know if Christ were in our midst, all of us would know something is different about that one it wouldn't be his looks. In fact, the scripture tells us that, 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 that people were not drawn to Christ because of his looks. Without being sacrilegious, let me say, he was a very ordinary looking Jewish man. There was nothing Isaiah tells us that would, would point to him as being uh, uh, the, the Savior except the power of the Holy Spirit that rested upon him. The same thing that should rest upon us, the same one. A Christian is one in whom Christ dwells. He shines through us. This world is a dark place, isn't it? Oh, my. You, every time I turn around, people text me, Pastor, have you heard? Did you hear? Did you hear? And on Wednesdays, I, I, 
with all the here with staff meetings and all, I'm in studying. I'm pretty sequestered, and, and uh, you know, I just I think one day passes and not listening to the news, and you hear all kinds of un- unspeakable things. But the Lord's life shines through us. Paul's life, his his daily living, and actions all were what Christ would have done if He were there. In fact, we are His hands and feet. He said, greater things will you do. What does he mean by that? Us going in his stead, all power is given to me. And because of that, go you into all the world and preach the gospel. And so it's as if Christ were there. Not because of me. This is Christ's word. When you speak a word, when you counsel, when you pray for someone, you're doing it in the very stead of Christ as if if Christ were there. Paul lived simply and honestly and sacrificially. Our Lord did, didn't he? Simple life. Honest, sacrificially, and fully to the glory of God. Should we not live the same way? Shouldn't be any difficult thing to figure that out. Christ shines through our very personalities. And he should. Now, I'll tell you, Chris Lamb tries to get on that throne every day and, and do business and take over, but we want the person our very personality to, to show forth the love and the graciousness and the truthfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 8, verse 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Where we go, we should bring light. In fact, he tells us, you are the light of the world, didn't he? So, if there's any spiritual light in this world, it will be because God's people shine it there. A church does not give light except for the people that are part of it because we are the the body of Christ. And wherever we are, when we're scattered across our places of business and neighborhoods and families, we bring the very presence of Christ there. As long, he says in John 9 verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And he's gone physically, but who's left here? We are. And we're to occupy till he comes shining forth light and being salt, purifying and giving light to those around us. You are the light of the world. The city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine. How? Just like that, prominently. Not to brag on yourself, but... These chandeliers, these lights are up high. We don't put them on the floor. We want the light to shine down so we can see what we're doing and give light in the whole room. You don't, you don't have an electrician come in and say, well, I want you to put a light under the dining room table, under the bed, under the couch. No. How silly that would be. We put light so we can see. And we're to be, that your light so shine before men. How is that? As we go through our daily round of life, as we go through the business of life, let the light of Christ shine through you so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, just as Christ glorified his Father. If you look there in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine, how? As lights in the world. Yes, and we could go on, but we'll stop there 
To live is Christ. The very life of Christ within us and living through us. But I want you to notice secondly, the second part of our verse here, the Philippians 1 verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Not but. These are not in contradiction or in a contrast to one another. To live is Christ. We have this whole lifetime, however long it is, to glorify God through this body. And he gets to choose how we glorify him in this body. We don't, we don't get to say, I want to be a chandelier with, you know, with, with crystals on it. He decides how he'll shine through this earthen vessel. All right? And that's how God chooses for us, how he will use us in this life. For me to live as Christ, and plus, in addition to that, to die is gain. Our death, something nobody wants to talk about. And yet everybody knows that that is imminently uh, what's going to happen in our life at some point. We live and then we die. And I'm not being hardened to that. That's just the, the facts. So we should learn how to, what to think about that, shouldn't we? And how to live these lives that God has given to us. What about the death of a believer? Now, as I've said, it's a very different thing than the death of an unbeliever. Every unbeliever ought to be scared to death. Because once you pass from this life, once the soul is separated from this body, oh, eternity begins. Oh, what an awesome thing that is. I hope anyone listening to me tonight that doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would seek Him and settle this matter of your eternal destiny right this moment. What about the death of a believer? What then? Well, Paul says it is all gain. There are no losses for the believer in death. The unbeliever thinks that death ends it all. And so they often will develop little philosophies that help them. Well, I just believe we die like a plant dies, like a tree dies, like an animal dies. Oh, you do. And what do you base that on? That's just how I feel about it. That's, I think science, I think anybody, my, my philosophy. Oh, your philosophy. Oh, I see. Because you've been into eternity, I'm sure. And you know the end from the beginning. You've seen the eternal one. You know that the ways and the minds of God. Oh, I see. No, they don't. So we better take a higher authority than the guy at the water cooler who has a philosophy about everything. We better take the Word of God, the only sure foundation for all that we believe i'd rather take this paul's philosophy than joe at the water cooler wouldn't you i mean joe knows something i don't know what but he may not know the truth paul knows the truth the the scripture knows the truth the unbeliever think that often thinks that death ends it all and there's nothing else or they'll cop out and say well we just don't really know oh that's that's really That settles it, doesn't it? We just don't know. Yes, we do know. The Scripture is very clear. This is not the end of the road. That's not true for the believer in Christ, and it's not true for the lost person. Read, if you will, in the Gospel of Luke. The Bible tells us definitively what happens at the point of death for someone who, apart from Christ, they go into eternal hell. What a horrible thing. No matter how rich and famous and illustrious you may be in this life, it matters not in the life to come. They won't be asking for your ID card or your your bank account or your credentials in hell. They don't care. No one cares. And, in fact, in heaven, that doesn't matter either, does it? The poorest can go there. The least uh, noticeable down here can go. The, The little ones can go there. 
The infants can go there. The, the least of these can go there. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Without money, without status, we can go to that glorious, glorious place. What we see in verse 22 here in Philippians 1, But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I will not. For I am in a straight, I'm in a, between a rock and a hard place, Paul said. I'm in a straight between two things. I have two, two conflicting or two weighty matters here. To having a desire to depart. I want to go. See, Paul's already been there. So he knows what, you know, there's still a big question mark except for what the scripture says. But Paul had already had a preview. To, I, I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Well, death, first of all, is a door that sets us free. Not a door that slams closed this life. It is the door to all the glorious things that God has promised. Free from this prison of flesh and bones. The soul is housed in a prison. And when that soul, the Bible says in James 2, verse 26, the the biblical definition of death, as the body without the spirit is dead, the soul is set free. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body, what 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 a glorious truth, to be absent from this body, for the soul to be absent from this body is what? Immediately to be present with the Lord. There's no intervening time. The Bible teaches in no place that we go and park for a while or the soul floats around until something happens or sleeps until resurrection day. No, I will tell you, and I'll give you these two points. We could give others, but this verse says to be absent from the body. If you're not in your body for the believer, you're where? You're with the Lord. There's no, and it happens instantaneously. And I'll give you another proof text. I think it would settle the matter. If not, you need to go study the Bible for yourself. Remember the thief on the cross who cried out to the Lord in saving faith? I love, that's my favorite conversion story in the Bible. You know it is because I refer to it often. When he looked to him in faith, what did the Lord say to him? Aren't you so glad that Jesus Christ said this? Today. Not in a thousand years, not when they've lit enough, lit enough candles or said enough prayers or d- did whatever, rigmarole. Today you shall be with me in paradise. So that should settle the matter, shouldn't it? To be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. And if Jesus says today, don't you think he knows what today is? Today, that thief, killer, who was dying a, a capital punishment death, Jesus said through his grace, you'll be with me in paradise today. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that glorious? That's grace is what it is. Now, notice in our text in verse 23 that death for a Christian is a departure. Paul says, I'm in this, between this rock and the hard place, I really need to depart. He says there in verse 23, having a desire to depart. Now, the word in the Greek paints a beautiful picture. It has the picture, if you can see one of those sailing vessels of the day, they would bring the, up the, the anchor unleash the, the moorings and set out to sea. That's the picture that Paul is painting. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We leave this shore and arrive on heaven's shore. Or it speaks of those who had been out camping and they take down the, at the end of the camping, dismantling the tent. 
they're through with that temporary structure. Where are they going? They're going home, especially. Somehow, another, when I was a kid, when, my, we would, when we would go camping, we always picked the rainiest weekend to go. Every time you had to dig trenches to drain the water off, the whole time was sloppy, wet. And uh, finally, when we broke camp, we were going to a warm, dry, we were going home. When this tent is laid aside, guess what? We're going to the big house. We're going home. We're going to the mansion that he has prepared for us. Now, that, well, that's a beautiful picture. What a departure, a release, being set free from these aching, aging, sick, sinning bodies that we hold on to so desperately, don't we, to the very bitter end. But notice also that death is a door for us that sets us free. But death for a Christian means resurrection is coming. Now, look over in chapter 3 of Philippians in verse 20. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. For our conversation, our lifestyle, our way of life is in heaven. For, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember he says we're citizens of there? We're really just passing through. Our, our life is really... We're hit, our life is in Christ. Christ is in heaven. So our life is really there. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall what? Look at this glorious tr- tr- truth in verse 21. Who shall change our vile bodies. You don't think your body is vile, vile? Just don't brush your teeth for about a month, and you'll find out how vile it is. Don't bathe for about two or three months. Yes, we are vile. Not just physically, but inwardly, aren't we? The old man who shall change our vile bodies, that it may be fashioned, how? Like in his glorious body. Think about the body of Christ, his resurrected body. He appeared in rooms, had locked doors. He could travel at thought. Amazing things that we can't fully, yet he had a physical body. Thomas said, I don't believe it unless I touch him. He said, okay, Thomas, reach out and see. My God and my, my Lord, my Savior and my God, he said. He put his hand in the wound. Jesus Christ's body, though glorious change, was the same body, but resurrected and changed. Who shall change that metamorphosis there, that he will change these vile bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to uh, even to subdue all things unto himself. He's able to do it, isn't he? He who spoke the worlds into existence and who took dirt and made us, can certainly change these vile bodies into a glorious one. Romans chapter 8 says it like this in verse 21, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Think about not only is our soul set free, our bodies will be set free. The glorious liberty of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together till now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we, as believers, ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for what? The adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Our souls have been redeemed. We're just waiting on our bodies to be redeemed. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall never die, and because I live, you shall live also. Well, it is gain for us because we 
not only because it means a release from this body, it's gained because we'll get a, a glorified body, but it's also gained because for us, death means rejoicing. To be released from these sinning bodies and to be in the very presence of our Lord himself in, with a new and heavenly body and a, the fullness of joy that we'll enjoy there is, a, is an amazing thing. At his right hand are his fullness of joy forevermore. We'll be in the Father's house. I remember as a boy, sometimes we would go down to Utah, where my, the lambs were from, Greene County, and uh, it seemed like it was like going to another world, you know, way off down in the country, visit all the relatives, and then we'd get in the old Ford and come back to Tuscaloosa. And the last thing I remember is falling asleep in the back seat of that car. The, you know, the tires hitting those things in the road, the bumpity-bumpity-bump all down the road. And the next thing I realized... I would wake up, and do you know where I'd be? It'd be the next day, and I'd be in my bed in my father's house. And for the child of God, it's just that way. We go to sleep in this old, vile world, bumpity-bumpity-bump down the road, the smell of exhaust and all the rest, hot without air conditioning in that old car, going from Utah back to Tuscaloosa. But when I woke up, do you know where I was? In my bed in my father's house. That is a beautiful picture of what it will be for us as the children of God. The life of a Christian is what? Christ. To live is Christ, not in my own resources, but Christ living in me. To die, the death of a Christian, is gain. Think of all that we will gain. We didn't even talk about heaven, the rewards, the eternal life, all that he's promised to us, but that's what lies before us. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts tonight.